This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Concept2 and the Concept2 Skierg. Concept2 is the designer and manufacturer of the Skierg, a training tool for Nordic skiing and for general fitness. Located in north central Vermont, the Concept2 family rose in summer and skis in winter. The Skierg grew out of the time-tested design of the Concept2 rowing machine. As dedicated skiers, we know this much is true. It's not always easy to get out on the snow in winter, or out on the roller skis, for that matter, in summer. The Skierg is a perfect dry land training option for skiers, or anybody really, looking to improve their fitness. The second generation Skierg allows for single stick and double pulling. Take your skiing and upper body conditioning to a new level with a Skierg. You can find more information about Skiergs and their PM5 performance monitors at concept2.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. Today was the World Champs Race of Truth in the 15K Interval Start Skate at the 2021 World Championships in Oberstdorf, Germany. This grind fest lived up to its reputation as an image maker and a body breaker. There's lots to unpack on the podcast. And we're able to do that today with another special guest, U.S. distance skiing legend Chris Freeman. We'll get some great perspective from Freeman on two separate occasions. He raced to fourth place at the World Championship 15K. We're really stoked. It's been um, every anybody that's listening, anybody that's listening to the podcast is getting super spoiled. And I'm sure, like yesterday, when it was just Jason and I, like <laughs> bantering about the races, like not a whole lot of engagement. That's fine. Um, so we got we got a great guest back today, Chris Freeman. Chris is a couple years older than me, but our careers we we raced on the world cup and the world championships olympics that sort of thing pretty much the whole way he started a couple years before me but um when you're both from north america and you both like distance racing and training hard then you get to know people from other countries and it helps that he also speaks english (laughs) but i thought it was great to have chris on the on the podcast because um 15k individual start races whether they're in skate or in classic was definitely a race that chris um had some phenomenal performances and i mean i don't know if i'm speaking too soon chris you can tell me but i I mean not only your two fourth place finishes at the world championships in 2003 and then again in 2009 those are those are standout performances but on on the world cup in the in the 15k individual start it seemed like you you were really able to dial in that race better than better than most so it's we're really thrilled to have chris on the podcast and break down the 15k skate today as best we can for the, for the folks at home, uh, I thought it was, you know, men's racing is not that exciting these days in the, on the world cup in some ways because of the dominance, but that said, the storylines were awesome. Like, like Hans Christer Holland winning and the way he won and his whole story is, is something that I'm really excited to share and talk with you guys about. Cause, um, you know, what, what a win by Holland. So, but, uh, it's great to have, have Chris and I'm, yeah, we'll, we'll get right into it. Well, thanks for, Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I've, I've actually um, I've been doing a little bit of catch up. I've been listening to the shows all last week, um, trying to <laughs> get an idea of what I was into in for. And, uh, Is it? It's a safe place, Chris. <laughs> I do want to uh, hear more about Christopher Holland because it sounds like you know him 
fairly well, at least you know his backstory. And yeah. what, I forget which show it was it was on, but uh, I, I like I always uh, root for the uh, the workhorse. Um, I went through his fist yeah. profile. I could relate to his fist profile with the 66th and the 70th in the sprints. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I like seeing that. <laughs> um, um, but but yeah, the 15K was always my favorite event. Um, for one thing, uh, you know, with the diabetes, like just dosing it, it, it was a very easy, it was a, the easiest race for me to have a repeatable uh, blood sugar with. So that became my focal event. And because it was my focal event, it was my favorite event. And I was, I couldn't believe how we, I, into the race I got today watching it. I yeah, think I, was, I fun. was definitely annoying my wife. <laughs> awesome. That, then you know, you're, then you know, you're into something good. <laughs> that's the, that's how you know you're doing something good. <laughs> <laughs> how, um, yeah, can you guys, a couple of things like from both of your perspectives is, Talk a little bit about, and I know you both have raced in Oberstdorf. So can you talk about the course today? Three laps of, uh, well, actually, uh, I'll let you talk a little bit about it, but it looked noticeable to me. Obviously, it was warm, soft conditions for some skiers, um, like how taxed people look. So to frame the race, what makes the 15K so hard? You know, people, it's like a time trial, the race of truth, I suppose. Um and speak specifically a little bit about conditions and Oberstdorf, the course yeah, itself. I mean, I can start and then Chris can really expand on it since he's the expert in the 15K skate uh, or 15K classic as well. Um, but I, I think like today, you, you know, absolutely. Oberstdorf is a championship course. And we've talked a little bit about what that means to, when we say championship courses, but more and more, you know, most World Cup courses are also pretty stout and pretty hard, but the, at the championship, everything gets taken up a notch. and and what I think is kind of fun about watching Oberstdorf now with the world championships is they've, they've made changes since uh, Chris and I were there in 2005 racing the world championships, but not really in the sense that that hill that goes from the stadium. And then you see them climb up onto like a higher plateau there. And then the work you have to do up on the high point of the course before screaming back down in the stadium, it's a real, it bites. It's really, really, really hard. And to discipline your energy in, the individual start when you're out there by yourself, like you said, Jason, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a huge challenge. And then seeing people taxed, I think also, honestly, you have stress, everyone's stressed with the world championship. Then you have coronavirus on top of that, that people are stressed out about people aren't eating with their teammates. They're not joking around like they normally would. They're essentially just sitting in the room and, and eating with their one roommate and, and just waiting to race. That's taxing, but also it's been insanely warm. It's been like up most, it's, it's been up around like 15 degrees Celsius every single day. And a lot of these guys and girls have raced a lot of, a lot of races now. And I mean, you're, yeah, you're definitely starting to see the fatigue in the bodies. From the camera, from the cameras I was seeing, it looked like the course was holding up reasonably well, but then you just have these unpredictable craters in the corners. <laughs> yeah. was never my favorite. No, <laughs> I, like, I like to be able to rest on the downhills and that would, that would have definitely uh, stressed me out. Um, but I thought one of the most interesting things today for me was the pacing and just like from the first camera at 1.7 K, I think it was, I saw Bolshinov, you know, jump skating through there. And I was like, wow, if he can hold that for 15 K, he's going to win. And then I saw the Norwegians go through and they all looked calmer to me going through that. Did oh, you yeah. see that? No, I agree. I agree totally with what you're saying. 
And like, I didn't, I, Amundsen, I, you, yeah. you're going to have to correct my pronunciation. No, no, that's it. Yeah, Amundsen, yeah. I've noticed on your show is now you pronounce all the names right. Oh, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, like Charlotte <laughs> Kala. It's like Charlotte Dakala. Where's the Dakala? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, nice. <laughs> no, uh, but Amundsen is smooth. Yeah, totally smooth. What a beautiful skate skier. He's only 22 years old. And uh, yeah, I know, absolutely. Technically speaking, he's it's amazing what he's able to do out there. When I saw him on the start list, I have to admit, I didn't know who he was. And I was like, how, how I looked him up. He's got like nine world cup points in his career. I'm like, that's an interesting <laughs> choice, <laughs> um, but uh, he's for real. And he looked the oh. best. He looked the best to me going through there at the start. I was, I was like, okay, this is going to be a day for him. Yeah, no, he's so, he's so stable. And, and the way he, the way he has his high hip position, and then the weight shift and then getting the most out of each kick is is it's something to be seen and and yeah like for for those that just follow the world cup and not like the secondary circuits and stuff like Amundsen has definitely uh, been on the radar in Norway just because he's a world junior champion and then he won under 23s last year as well and then this year Norway skipped pretty much not not pretty much but they skipped a lot of world cups um but Amundsen's been top three in in pretty much every 15 K skate. So it, it, there was high expectations and he really delivered on that today. And for a 22 year old that has never been to the world championships before from Norway with high expectations, one start and he delivers like that. That's impressive. Yeah. I, it is. That was, that was a full on senior, senior level world championship performance. Um, I was impressed and I was also Everything about everything about the performance, even right down to his skis with those neon green bases. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah I did. I actually was like, you know, Stian probably uh, Stian Gronos, uh, uh, Chris, like from back in the days when he was a wax technician for for Subaru factory team. Maybe you remember him. But anyway, he works for Matsus now. And I, as soon as I saw that, like right at that one point eight K split you're talking about, and I saw those green bases. I'm like texting him right away, and I'm like, what the hell are those? Like, what are those? And then he's like. It's a funny story with those matches. They weren't even ready for the biathlon world championships that just happened two weeks ago. So these are fresh off the presses and were rushed down to Oberstdorf. And then they happen to be the best in, in Amundsen's bag and he races in them. And yeah, like you said, everybody's noticing those bright green bases on a red top sheet. So uh, it's kind of fun too for Matsus to get, to get, um, yeah, get some results again because they've really struggled to maintain, especially on the men's side of things. It's been a real exodus with the male athletes. The top male athletes have been leaving Matsus in droves. And it's fun to see someone like Admonson, uh, who's 22 years old and getting a world championship bronze medal in his first crack at it. So that, that helps the brand too. So that was, that was pretty cool. I, what I was thinking of with the green neon this morning, and I, I almost texted uh zach but i kept myself from it and and zach just to put things for in context if people don't know zach caldwell was chris's longtime coach for your entire career pretty much is that right uh basically yeah there was there was like four four years in the early 2000s where it wasn't my day-to-day coach but that was it well i was thinking to myself "Ooh, neon green on the bases how many people in the u.s who are looking for that sort of they just want that you know the race advantage 
And they're texting Zach this morning, like, dude, what's up with the Green Bay ski? When can you get me some? <laughs> so anyway. Um, Before we get all into that, because it's fun to start with talking about Amundsen. And, and you know what? I see some parallels, honestly, because Amundsen's 22 years old. He finished third today. And that reminds me of my first world championships, which was 2003 and a 22-year-old coming fourth in the 15K Classic, also skiing at a senior level with beautiful technique, really stable, crisp, kick, crisp kicks. And while it wasn't your first world championships, Chris, what was going through your mind in that 15K Classic back in 2003? Now we're talking about Val de Fiam, 15K Classic individual start in 2003, where it's safe to say that was that was the breakthrough race for, for, for you, Chris, and, and being fourth in the world championships like that and the way you were skiing. Um, you know, a lot of people that were looking at that, that results list even though you had won the under 23 race the week before, like, like you just said too, about Odmanson, like the reality is most people don't follow along with what's happening in the under 23 scene. It's uh, it's when you get with the big boys that, that people start, people start noticing like, what, how is that for you? Like, I think, I think it probably a lot of parallels there between what Odmanson was feeling going into that race and what you were feeling going into uh, a beautiful performance you had there as a 22 year old. Well, I had won the under 23s a, a, a week or two before, so my, my confidence level was really high. But I, I do think coming in, you know, from the U.S. ski team, who had had decades of not very good results, um, versus Amundsen yeah, that's true. earning his way onto the Norwegian squad, my expectations weren't probably not the same as his. That's true. And, you know, and I... I I, I still relive this moment. Like, I think it was Pete Vordenberg gave me a split, like 4K to go that I was in third place. And the first thing I did was miss two kicks in a row. <laughs> 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 because I was like, holy, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah, um, yeah you and, weren't ready for it in a way. And, and, and that was partially this. I wasn't ready for it. The ski culture, like the culture I grew up in wasn't ready for it. Yeah, that's um, and I, I really wish I had had the. I think there could have been a medal that day if I had if my if I had been in a different place mentally. You know, I went into that race thinking, "Wow, top twenty would be the most amazing day," and that's not that's not the winning mindset. You know that. No, no, that's you're absolutely right. And and, and that Abinson didn't have that mindset today, like we just touched upon a few minutes ago. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and and. You know, just just to make that top five squad with Norway, you know, it's like not to change the subject, but you look at Soonby, who couldn't get a World Cup start right. He's probably not no, going to start again here or in no, no, and he's seventh in the world. Um, yeah. So it was it was a different it was a different culture, um, and it was but it was it was really it was a really cool day back in two thousand three to realize that North America that could belong up at the top of the, of the results sheet. Uh, I wish I could go back and talk to myself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. And I think it was, I mean, I remember being super inspired by your performance. Uh, uh, classic is, is my favorite technique and, and the way you were skiing there, like I can still close my eyes and, and, and visualize how you, how you skied that course. And it was, it was a absolutely beautiful performance, but you're absolutely right. Like, I think, I think that is what's changed now, which is good, which is really good in, in the U S and in, and in Canada. It's like, people can the younger athletes that are getting the world championships and that sort of thing. Like they believe that it's doable. They, it's not just some, it's not just some dream or some, 
some fallacy like oh yeah you're gonna do this and and I, that that has a lot to that has a lot to do if you find yourself in a position where you're you're fighting for the top and you just you just don't you, you're not expecting it and, and your program has like essentially given up on the fact that this is even possible possible well, exactly like even you know tron was the coach tron was always very positive and that was actually really good for me but a lot of the coaches and a lot of the the stuff, you know, we didn't have the social media, so I couldn't see the ski racers very often. Um, it was, there was just, just feeling of impossibility. It's like we will never compete in the, in this sport, um, was what permeated. And, um, it is so good to see it change. Um, oh yeah. And I, I think, I think that race was like a first step and then, you know, then you had Newell and Keegan and you and Harvey and it just, it's just cascading. And now we've got Jesse and Gus. I'm pretty, it's exciting to watch. Oh yeah, I know it is super exciting to watch. And it's funny that you said that with the U S back in 2003, because like I had a real chip on my shoulder for the same kind of culture in Canada that, you know, like I remember when I put school on, on the shelf before the 2006 Olympics and in Torino and people were telling me it's like oh so you're gonna like race in the Olympics and then like quit skiing and go back to school and I'm like I'm 23 like no I'm not gonna just race in Olympics and then go back to school like I think we can do something and, and but you're absolutely right it was like the predominant culture was especially for the men's side of things because we had in Canada we were blessed with like Becky and Sarah and and I mean Chandra won the Olympics as a 21 year old so like or 22 year old sorry so like uh there was the women's side was belief, but with the men, even though you were showing some great results and even by that time, by 2006, I'd raced into the top 20 in numbers times in the distance races. But yeah, like it culture wise, it was like, this is just so not going to happen. So I agree. It's awesome to see that North America, like definitely has turned the page and, and now the kids and now the, the, the young athletes believe that it's possible. And most importantly, the staff really believes it's possible. And, um, that, that, that it's really fun that we've taken this little tangent because that is, that's a big part of why Nor Norway succeeds. I think And Kristen talked a little bit about that. Jason uh, is like, when you, when you make the team, when you make a championship team for Norway, you're automatically a medal contender, no matter how many world cups you've done. No, maybe like you said, Amundsen's done a, like not even a handful of world cups, like one or two or three, like barely any world cups. But as soon as you make the team and you're on the start list for Norway, when they have such limited starts for a championship, like, you know, I'm good enough. So when he gets that split, when he gets that split, like you just described with that uh, in 2003, there's no shock. It's like, of course, like you're top 10 or you're whatever. It's like, yeah, of course I'm top 10. Like this is where or, I belong. And maybe I was maybe like, you get that split that you're in place and you're like, oh crap, I'm not winning. Yeah. Yeah. That even that, no, it could be, it's, it's no, you're absolutely right. Cause the belief makes a huge difference, uh, but it, but it was, it was fun. I, I, I have to, I have to admit it was seeing Edmondson come third, at 22, it definitely, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I remember, I remember that day pretty well in, uh, in, in 2003 and it was a huge breakthrough for you personally. So it's, it's cool to revisit that. We'll just get right into it with Holton since, since um, uh, Chris was curious about like a little bit about his backstory and, and I'm sure people in, in North America that, that uh, don't know much about Holland other than, of course, everyone know, knows that he won the 2019 world championship 50 K by dropping the field <laughs> and, and going it alone, which was, which was amazing. But, and, and Chris, Chris uh, mentioned that like how, how Holland is like, like a total workhorse, man. He is so tough mentally. And if you've been following the world cup for the last few years, uh, we talked about that a bit, Jason too. I don't know when, but lately it's like, 
who drives the bus in mass starts, like who sets the pace in the mass starts, Hans Christian Holland, Kruger once in a while, Bolshinov, that's it. That's it. Those are the people that, that drill it. And um, coming into this race, a lot of people were like, of course, Holland was like an out, not just an outsider. Like he's one of the best in Norway. It's his race, but the course is so punishing in Oberstdorf. It's hard, man. Like it's hard to describe over, over like a podcast, like how the challenge of going up the, from the Valley bottom, climbing all the way up to the top of the course in Oberstdorf. And then you remember that Chris, like that plateau up there I and it just starts rolling along. Oh. I, think I didn't, you know, I didn't race that course with the with the extra bit on top which is the most punishing part oh, probably yeah. 2006 was probably yeah, the yeah was exactly they, they took it out for the world cup they haven't been racing that course at all in the world cup but then they're going back to that 2005 championship course and it's a killer because that, that, that hill on its own is is just an yeah. absolute killer and if you're not on if you if i wasn't just on absolute form it was just hell going up that yeah hill. oh for sure me too me too is brutal and, and Holland, the way he, the way he did it today, like you said, like he, he paced the race perfectly. He, the whole Norwegian team paced the race perfectly, but he definitely started well in control, but that's actually like pretty typical for, for him. But the last 5k of that course was when you're in that meat and potatoes, like that giant hill we're talking about up and then through the plateau, the hardest part of the course came at the end and, and Holland timed it perfectly to, to put put down his best race of his career but to give you a bit of a backstory chris because i think it's kind of fun is like so he won the world junior championships in malls in 2008 um noah hoffman was there um so was alex harvey so he was he was a beast when he was a junior and then the next year he also took an individual medal he took a bronze in the in the skiathlon uh in prod elite but then things like went off the rails for holland in a huge way and from 2010 2011, 2012, nothing was working. Like absolutely nothing was working. He, he was struggling with illness, couldn't figure it out, having injury problems. Then motivation just started tanking. And like, this was a guy that was racing in Scandinavian cups in like the seventies and eighties in or the seventies, sixties and seventies, I should say in Scandinavian cups in individual start races for a young senior from Norway. That, that like as a world junior champions, there's a lot of pressure. Like people are expecting big things and it's just like nothing is working. Like he is, he, he, I don't want to say sucks because it's still hard to be like 60th or 70th in a Scandinavian cup, but it was really, really hard. He started school. He, he's from Nittedal, which is where my brother-in-law's from. So I get a lot of fun backstories about his dad. And like, uh, also my sister-in-law is really, really good friends with um, Hans Christer Holland's sister. So it's like, that's the connection there. And I know Hans Christer from when I was active and, and stuff like that, but he's the nicest guy ever. But those three years, like he wanted to, he wanted to retire. He was barely racing. He tried his hand at school. He started studying. He didn't really like it. And he just had no idea what he was going to do. And it, it was like people, when he says like, I almost retired, like, I don't think people in North America understand how down and how close he was to retiring in, in those years in 2011 and 2012. And he joined the club in Oslo. He lived in like student housing around Songsvon, like uh, Olympia Top. And if you've been there, uh, Chris, there's like cross country ski trails go from there. Anyways, he was living in student housing up there and like not really training anymore and just being like, maybe skiing is just not for me. Like, I, I, I don't know. I can't figure it out. Joined the local club in that area of Oslo. It's called Lynn. And the rest is history. Like he, 
he fit in really well with the club, started training again, motivation came back. They sorted out the illness stuff, start was healthy. And then already right away in 2013 started having podiums in Scandinavian cups again. And then the rest is history. Like we see how good he's been, but then also too, what I think is kind of fun is people kind of forget like Holland's kind of like, I don't know. I don't get it. Like there's just some athletes like this that don't get kind of the respect they deserve, whether they kind of like forgotten. And it's like the guy, isn't that weird? He's just not flashy. You know? No, no, exactly. He's not flashy, but I have to admit, I have to admit, I was like, I, I looked up his fist profile. I'm like, Oh yeah. This guy won in 2019 too. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm not, sure. I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm a little bit more removed from the sport than you are at this point, but yeah. I was, I can't, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I forgot that. Yeah, no, no, but you're right. He's not flashed and he's just a, he's a grinder, man. He keeps his head down and he works hard, but you know, like he, he just to find some fun context too. It was a huge cut. It was, it was actually like a shit storm in, in uh, Pyeongchang. He was third in the skiathlon in Pyeongchang and then didn't get put on the relay team. Right. Which was like, which was like a huge scandal. They put Didrik Tonseth on the relay team. Didrik had a horrendous leg and he hadn't been in shape for months, uh, but they still won. <laughs> so everything all, all's well that ends well. But then also he won the 50 game in, in, in Seyfeld also didn't do the relay. So the guy has never done a championship relay, which is like pretty crazy to think about when you look at the last three championships that he's taking individual medals in each one, but he will most certainly do the relay in two days. Um, but I just well, think I was, it's, a, I was I, looking forward to talking to you too, about what you thought they would do with that relay. And when you, when you, when you sweep the podium and then have sixth and set, was it? Six yeah. Six and seven. Yeah. I mean, do you still put Clybo in the anchor? Yeah. Oh yeah, you do. You do? Okay. Yeah, I, I think if I was going to guess, and I mean, we, I have no intel on that, and they hold, the, they hold this pretty close to their chest, but I, I would have to think, in ca- unless there's something that changes with illness or something re- leading up to it, the men's relay for Norway, if I was going to put money, I, I would put, I, I think they're going to go with like Everson first leg, Holand second leg, Kruger third leg, and then anchor with, anchor with Klebo. Okay. But that said, but that said, and this is what we're going to get into later on when we start talking about the women's relay, which is happening tomorrow. But the skate side is so much harder than the classic side on the relays. So maybe we will see Claybo in do the first leg this time, and they and they end up finishing it off with someone like I don't know, maybe someone like Kruger or someone like Everson, even that that was fifth in the skiathlon that showed that he can handle those big hills. It's going to be kind of fun to see. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not going to bet against. Clebo in a, in a 10k in any in any respect but this but i'm glad i'm not making those decisions <laughs> yeah yeah me too no but I, I, it's a good problem that norway has for the men's relay because i mean if if norway doesn't win the men's relay then that makes no sense like they should win the men's relay by a minute like they're they're so much better than any other team right, right now but the race today, what other, what what else jumped out of you? I mean, of course, like Holland skied beautifully. He timed it beautifully. Kruger had a beautiful race as well. We talked about Amundsen already. I think it was a really disappointing day for the North Americans on a whole. Um, I, Russell Kennedy, I want to give a little shout out to Russell because he was 30th and maybe that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but like the guy has an ear infection and he's actually been on antibiotics 
and he tried to race the skiathlon on antibiotics, which is kind of a dumb call. But anyways, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but, um, well, to see him bounce back. How many and times have you tried to race on antibiotics? Yeah, I've tried to, and it's stupid. I guess that's probably why I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I did that's that in for me, the older I got for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I did that in Sochi. We saw that work. Not good. Um, so, but anyway, Russell in 30th was, was fun to see. And, and like Scott Patterson for sure was disappointed with a 27th place. He, he expected more and as he should, he's, he's also a grinder and, and good on challenging conditions and hard courses. So 27th is not where he wanted to end up. But after that, there's not much else to discuss about the, the North American men, I guess. I, Gus Schumacher was, I had a really high hopes for him, but he's still 20. So we all got to cut him some slack. It looks like he's just running out of steam. I don't know what you see. Yeah, I had, I had some really high hopes for him too, but you know, U23 is, he was ninth, which is not okay. a bad day, but it's not great. And, oh. um, you know, he, after his great performances at the tour de ski and following it, I, I think it's okay if he's out of gas. Um, yeah, I agree. Since his season wasn't from what I gather, it really wasn't planned. Like he wasn't going to race the whole world cup, but there was no other way to go. So, exactly. you know, he could, he could have gone back to recoup, but there wouldn't have been any racing opportunities. Exactly. So, you know, he's, he's young. He'll be back. Oh yeah, totally. And I, 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 I totally agree with you, Chris. It's like in the COVID season when you're a 20 year old kid and like even the traveling back, there's, yeah, there's no racing opportunities for him back in Alaska, but also like, do you want to take that risk? No, you don't like, so like to, to stay healthy, but yeah, the guy, the guys run out of steam, ran out of steam and, and, uh, but yeah, for sure he'll be back and you don't come top 10 as a first year senior twice and not have an amazing future ahead of you. So it was, uh, but yeah, it was a tough day for the North American men, for the fans at home. And I mean, that, that just how, that just how it worked out today. Sadly, there's, there's not much more to talk about, I guess, with that. We bumped over the man in fourth, I think. So let's talk a little bit about Bolshinov and let's also perhaps, I don't, we don't necessarily need to bring it in, but like, um, the stats from stat skier from Joran. Yes. That yes. Your thank eye. you. Yes. That's because- okay. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, that's great. Cause that really caught my eye is like, I don't know if you noticed this, Chris, watching it, watching the race and then just like following the results. I agree with you. Like Bolshinov also looked really good and was like really attacking early. So he could have just blown up, but did you know, I noticed something that was pretty noticeable in, in the splits. And then definitely when, when we saw those graphs from Jordan is like, notice the last laps of all the Russian skiers all the Russian skiers, quote unquote, fell apart in the last lap. That, that that doesn't happen with the guys that are that good. I think, I think something happened with the skis. That's a total guess, but like in wet, dirty conditions, we just talked to, to Zach a little bit about that. If you mess up the structure, your skis can be working beautifully for like five, 10 K and then get so jammed up with dirt and gunk and shit that the ski speed slows down incredibly and then it's really hard to make those skis work and when i saw every single russian i hadn't seen i hadn't seen that but that makes a lot of sense that it would have been a ski ski thing i mean i I did think bolshnov looked a a little tenser than maybe usual at the start to me like yeah yeah that's true he was attacking he was so aggressive that's crazy i that i that i agree with and so because of that i thought maybe he 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 died a little bit at the end, but if all his teammates also were having that profile, and that's just also out of character for how he races. 
Yeah. And, and I just, I just thought like, I mean, who knows? I've, I've, of course I've definitely not talked to the Russian wax technicians, but, but um, you know, I, I thought it was pretty noticeable uh, in the splits and then, and then in the graphs by seeing what happened in the last laps for, it was Maltsev and, and Bolshinov in those graphs. And, and it's like, man, oh man, their last lap was no bueno. And um, if, if that happens to one or two athletes, that that's, that, that happens. People are a little too excited that I've been there. You've been there, Chris, you start too hard. You pay the, you pay the pipe for, and you're, you're, you have nothing left. But, um, if your skis have, if you've messed up the structure, you didn't test, um, if you didn't do distance testing with your structure combinations, you can be burned so hard because in your test on the test track, going three K four K your skis can feel lightning fast, but at 12 K or 11 K, they can just stop working and that's probably happened to you chris i know it's happened to me in my career and that is a shitty feeling <laughs> um i kind of an extreme example but uh this, this goes way back to i think it's 2004 i, I had one of my best skate races ever on this new grind that uh ruar lillefeld put to, put on it was this and it was this crosshatch grind yeah and i got i got sixth place in the in the 30k skate on it and I was so psyched about the grind. And so was Tron and Ruar. And the next week was the Marcia Longa. And so they put the same grind on my Marcia Longa skis. And I had nuking skis for 15K. And then they just stopped. And I was just yeah. so baffled. And when, you got, when I got to the finish, it was like mud on my ski. Um, yeah. Same grind, different day, longer distance. And it just doesn't exactly work. and if you don't if you don't test if you don't test the full if you don't do distance testing on, on your structures and your grinds like you're 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 flying blind and i also have to imagine that the russians do indeed have yeah. team grinds and we're probably all on the same grind with the same hand structure yeah it could be yeah exactly so like, but but i like i said i don't know i just it was something that jumped out i was thinking about that and then when when i saw jordan's um um graphs that showed like how the pacing was you saw how good the norwegians were they were very evenly paced that's how you i mean you were the master of that chris when you were on at your best i mean that's how you that's how you ski the the individual start well you you just can't you can't fall apart if you fall apart it's over like you'll be you'll get exploited so that's sort of my question to chris is like and, and so looking at the let's imagine maybe it wasn't a ski thing and maybe a, you, you referenced um I forget if it was Chris or Devin, but the notion or the visuals of, of Bolshinov sort of attacking initially, you know, when he's fresh. Um, and maybe that cost him a fraction of a percent, you know, over the course of 10K. But I'm curious, like, respective to both of you guys, like, how do you, that's what's really interesting to me. Like, how do you not gun it when you're feeling good? And what is sort of the art science piece of pacing a 15k appropriately i, I was start with a, a conversation i had with zach and zach was very excitable when it came when he got on the world cup and and you know he said what's your plan you always what's your plan for the 15k how are you going to do this and and i and i told him once i'm like you know i approach every 15k the same way and sometimes i get to the first split and i'm leading and sometimes i get there and i'm 35 seconds down and i really don't know till i get there um, I have some inkling of whether I'm moving well or not, but it's finding a sustainable pace. And on the days when I'm really good is when I find that sustainable pace and there's more, there's more, I can, I can just 
load myself with lactate, get a 20 second downhill and be totally fresh again. And on the days when it doesn't work, the lactate just keeps building. But the basic pacing is finding a comfortable, fast speed to start at and then building on it. Um, and unfortunately, so some days I find I started at a comfortable pace and get slower. Um, but on the days where, where I have been in the top five, it was always a, a speeding up, speeding up and um, just being surprised at how quickly I could recover uh, from, from maximal little hills in the courses. I don't know if that's your experience, Devin. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, when I've been on the podium in, in 15K individuals, it's for sure been that too. It's like, it's that lactate tolerance system is just firing at such a high level. And it's amazing that you can, that, you, that you're able to quote unquote clear the lactate. And you're not probably really, if we stopped and did a lactate, it's probably still jacked. But you're, there's other mechanisms that are working like your, your um, yeah, like it, it, there's no, it's amazing how good your legs can feel, but you're absolutely right. It's more like the, the mental thought process is that when you have legs like that and you start feeling like that, it's like, it gives you the confidence that you're not like, you're not scared of those laps that are coming. You know, you're going to be able to do it. You know, you, you know, it's kind of weird. Exactly. What you said when you're on a good day, it's almost like, you know, it's like, I, I, I know I can hold this pace for the full 15 K it's going to hurt like a bastard. The last one and a half K of this thing. But till then, like it's, this is things are just clicking. That's the other difference. It's like the, the good days. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's probably more like the last four or five K that hurt like hell, but that first 10 K doesn't hurt that bad. It's the bad days where the whole thing hurts. Oh, and, oh yeah. From 500 meters. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I just looked at, I looked at Bolshenov's face today at, at 1.7 K and I thought this might hurt real bad for him today and maybe maybe it was the skis at the end of the day that, that, that did him in but he just oh. he just didn't it just looked like he was forcing it to me a little bit yeah me too no and I, I i'm not saying it was the skis i just thought it was interesting that all the russians uh lost time in that last lap but but i agree with you man like he was yeah like he was hop skating like a beast early but you're right it wasn't like bolshenov has really good technique you know what i mean in in both classic and skate and he's usually not tight and he did look tight early in the race and then when we saw him late in the race i think it was like what was it like 12.8 or, or late in the race we, we got a glimpse of him and he, he was shattered at that point it was like he was wrecked he was going and the back. other guy yeah he was going backwards in a hurry and the, and the other the other guy that jumped out to me that looked the exact same kind of was like i don't know if you noticed like evo niskanen but evo niskanen early was also hop skating and looking pretty good or looking energetic and then yeah late in the race like just if, if he was a cyclist, we'd say he was pedaling squares. Like he was, there was nothing left in his body. So I saw a, a brief glimpse and I didn't get any explanation. He had a broken pole at one point. And did yeah, you see yeah he broke his pole. Yeah. What I didn't see how he broke his pole. But I saw that he changed it. Yeah. But it's no. so soft. You got to think that you got to think it's like punches through breaks it or, or put it between his legs. But I, did, I haven't heard, I didn't hear that he fell. Okay. So now did Amundsen fall? Yeah. What what happened yeah. there? He he just lost he, in those deep ruts, dude. That you were just talking about and describing, like how hard it is to ski those deep ruts with shattered legs. Uh, really late in the race, he was coming. When you're coming up from the the top of the course, if you remember, not yeah. the World Cup course, but the World Championship course. When you're coming from that plateau and you start making your way down towards the stadium, so not that last downhill into the stadium, but one of those upper swings. Okay. He he went into the rhubarb in the ruts. He probably lost like. I, he lost at least 10 seconds.
So okay. I'm not sure he would have been able to be silver anyways, because he was 15 seconds from the silver, but, but um, he was definitely in the hunt for that. And it, it was, yeah, those matches were too fast. Who, who thought we could say something like that? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, who has a new poster boy today. That's for sure. And those, those glowing green bases, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Fisher guy for life, but I kind of wanted a pair. <laughs> yeah they're pretty cool. they look pretty well, cool i think you might be able to you know someone where you can probably he could probably set you up with a pair so, so has anyone looked at well in closing here about the 15k is uh and i know sunbee comes in with a with some baggage right i mean in sense of just he's been suspended for you know misuse of i mean misuse might be the wrong word ex- uh, uh, asthma medication, right? I mean, he's also a cha- he is also a, a storied champion. I mean, I, I don't want to dance around it, right? Since yeah, you bring it up, I, I since you live right in the heart of Norway, what is the general public's opinion of that? I don't. Is there scandal? The word or? Yeah, I mean. I got, and this isn't, I, I'm usually not careful with what I say, but, but I, I'll, I, I'm going to be a little careful with this particular thing, but I, I will say it's mixed. Definitely with, with, with Sunbee, it's, it's mixed with Teresa. It's not mixed. Like Teresa in Norway, people believe her 100% that she put the wrong cream on lips that were like absolutely horrendously bad. And that's what happened with Sunbee. It's mixed. <laughs> yeah. So that. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I don't. So. I. I don't want to uh, inflame things either. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess that's that's probably a good uh, description of my feelings on it. Um, yeah. And you know, just the use and or overuse of med- asthma medication in general. Um, I just. I don't particularly. I don't like it. If you've got the multiple overall World Cup champion using it, then it looks like this is what this helps. Yeah, no, exactly. And, I agree. And that's- I've, I've read studies that say it doesn't help at all. I've read studies that say it's like EPO. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to imagine that it, that's, I, some medications would help more than others. You know, sal- um, what was it, though? I forget is salbuterol or cell. Yeah. Yeah. Salbuterol. I think that's what he over did. Is that what? Yeah. Which is Ventolin. Like people know that as Ventolin. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not even close to one of some of the more potent stuff that you can get therapeutic use exemptions to use. You can get full on steroid inhalers if you've got the right, um, long deficits. (laughs) I will say this. And I mean, I have to admit, like, it is a really punishing sport on your lungs. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people like it, like exercise induced asthma is a thing. And when you're training at minus 20 and minus 15 Celsius for years and years and years, like, of course, it damages your lungs. I was that like, I can readily admit here that I, the last, what was it after Sochi, after I had a lung infection in Sochi, and then got pneumonia and uh, whooping cough in 2015. From 2016 to the re- to the end of my career, I used an asthma inhaler. I went and got the like the full lung checkup, like not just a spirometry test with my GP, but went to a lung specialist. 
and did the full gamut, my lungs were fucked. Like they were just totally wrecked. And I should have taken that and said like, you're done, dude, retire. <laughs> but instead I raced like a, a top 10 or two and then the rest were some top twenties and then some shitty races too. But it was, it were was not full on nebulizer at that point or were you using? Oh, oh no. See, that's, no. that's the thing. It's like, I think there are definitely people with that exercise induced asthma, especially cold weather asthma, but you know, you've got it. Take four puffs of your inhaler and call it good. You don't need to sit, sit in a room and just have that stuff permeate through your body for an hour before your race. That's, that's, yeah. And, and then the thing is too, like, I have to say, like, I, I don't know enough about, I mean, I know nothing about nebulizers and, and that style of, uh, therapeutic or, or like therapy for, for bad lungs. So I'm a full on doctor. I know everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but, I, but it is, it, it is an interesting discussion. And I think when they don't even, you don't even need a therapeutic use exemption anymore. Like there for the last few bunch of years, you don't even need a therapeutic use to, to, to use something like, um, Simbicord or Alvesco or Ventolin or any of these like normal asthma inhalers. Um, so, I mean, WADA, I, I would love to think that WADA has control of it, but like WADA is shown to be a corrupt piece of shit. So I, they probably don't. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, so, but regardless, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. And with Sunbee himself, what I will say with Sunbee is he has had horrible lungs since he was a kid. And that's well-documented. And that's, that's true. Like, like there are some athletes that, that struggle with exercise asthma, but that started as a kid as just asthma. And, and Martin Yonsrud Sunby is definitely one of those athletes that it's not a show. It's not trying to hide something like he has had, he has had major difficulties. And well, even, after, even after races, you know, riding back in a bus with him, you can't fake that cough. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. But to see him, to see him, he had a horrible lead up to this world championships. He was garbage all year long. He didn't have a single good race. His body wasn't working. He's been struggling with back injuries for the last two seasons. And there was a lot of uncertainty. He, the only reason why he got to go to the world championships was because he was the reigning champion in the 15K. So he got a free start. He's not allowed to start anything else. And he came also, seventh. It was the best race of the season. So it was, it was a great performance by Sunbeat. Given he, got what, cut, he got cut yeah. by the national team this year, um, yeah. which, which yeah. he said, I, I, the loosely translation, he, he said it was like getting his heart torn out. I think he said something like that, you know, yeah. not, okay. not, in a, not in a spiteful way, but just to like, and this really hurts. That had to yeah. really affect his training and his mental standpoint going into this year. I mean, I was impressed with the performance he put on today. Yeah, it was a beautiful performance. And, and, and he's got like four kids, right? Yeah, he has three that we know of. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm just kidding. But, the three kids thing, that just doesn't seem possible. <laughs> no, no. no I, I, that, I, that I will agree with 100%. I have two kids, and like I said, I can't get out for an hour of exercise a day. So I don't understand, uh, I don't understand how, how he does it. But it was, a, it was an impressive performance. And I think the fact, that the, the fact of the matter is that and this is what I, this is what I say to young athletes when they ask me, and this is what like my goal was at the championship. And I rarely hit that, which is, that's just how it, that's just how it shaked out for me. But like, if you can come to a championship an Olympics or world championships and have your best race of the season at the championship, that's the goal. 
like that that's 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 what everyone's striving to do and that's really that's really difficult to do i mean we see the holins we see the teresa yohugs we see the interviews where they say there's the best race of my life and then you start thinking that everybody's doing this but there's a lot of athletes that go to the championship with high hopes have the goal to have their best race of the season fall flat and and leave disappointed and sunby with the lead up that he had with all with so many bad races and injury he can look himself in the mirror and say he should be proud of himself. That was that was a great race for Sunby, and I, that's a, that was his level this year. He's not better than that this year, and it was it was right in there, like you said, Chris, seventh at the World Championships. That's that's a, that's a great race. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so tomorrow is the women's four by five relay. Fifteen teams. Uh, I'm not going to count anyone out right now, right? It's like everyone needs to have a glass half full. That said, Sweden is running with Sundling, Kala, Anderson, and Carlson in that order. Norway, Vang Vang with Heidi in, uh, going second. Uh, Johog Fossil, Fosselholm, and you you pronounce her name better for me. Fosselholm. There you go, thank you. Uh, Russia, or the Russian Ski Federation, depending on how you're interpreting all this. I keep on looking at this, I'm like, they're there, and it was a hand slap, I'm calling them Russia. I'm going to catch shit for that. Yeah, we're calling them Russia. We're calling them Russia. They're Russia. It's like, they're Russian and it's like, please, dude. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. um, Kurpachenko, Stupak, Serena, Neprieva. Uh, Germany, because I don't want to count out anyone. Gimler, Henning, Fink, Carl, and the U.S., dude. You see it, right? I yeah. see it. I'm a, I'm a little surprised. Me too. What are you surprised at, Chris? Well, I wish I knew a little bit more about Swerble. I mean, I know she got, you know, third in Davos. Um, you know, it was an underrepresented World Cup, but it was still a hell of a performance. Um, and so I know she can skate. Um, I don't, I really don't know anything about her history. So I don't know how she is as a classic skier. Yeah, let me just run through it before. And then, so it's, it, it's Swerble with the scramble, Moby Bjornsson, a storied classic skier, Rosie Brennan, third leg, skate, and Jesse Diggins, the anchor, which is skate. Okay. I think, I mean, I think having, I think Sadie is our, our strongest classic skier. So having her in second, I think you put your strongest classic skier in the second leg. And why, why is that? Just for, for listeners, flesh that out. Um, because in the scramble, it's a bit of a mess. It's a mess start. Um, you can get sucked along in the draft for a while. And even if you're a weaker, weaker comparative skier, um, you're going to, you won't get dropped till later in the race. So the damage will be less. Um, and a lot of the times you can even, a weaker steer can even hang on to the end of the, the end of the, the leg. And then, but then in the second leg, those little breaks get compounded and you and you got to have the strong skiers in there to either make up the gaps or create them. Does anyone have stats on uh, on uh, Haley from in classic skiing? Because she could be a phenomenal classic skier, and I could just be ignorant. No, no, she's she's a, she's a solid. She's a she's a solid classic skier. She okay. she is a solid classic skier. Absolutely, she's solid. Not, I mean, Sadie is the best classic skier. Uh, well, Diggins is the best classic skier this year in the U S team, but, but Sadie is historically, if you take the last four years and you average them out, Sadie's the best distance classic skier. Um, yep. and so I agree with you, like putting Sadie in the second leg is, is, is a smart, smart decision. And, and, um, Swerble, like she is solid. She's struggled at this world championships, but she's rested. She hasn't raced everything here. And, um, 
the scramble, like you said, it, it, it's such a low risk. She's, she shouldn't get dropped in the scramble leg. Um, and also, also, it was, you know, her, it's been a rough world, but we know the skis weren't good in the pursuit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Totally. And they know that. And more impo- most importantly, the staff knows that. Right. And so, so that was and I, and I definitely don't want to come off as not having faith in Haley. I just really just don't know her back, her back history. And I, I was expecting that they were going to put Lockley in the third leg and have Rosie and uh, Sadie, Sadie skate, but this could be a better strategy. I'm not, I'm not going to second guess it. Okay. So she was seven, she was 17th in Valmister and the 10 K mass start. And she was in toe block during the tortoise ski in the 10 K pursuit. She was 22nd overall 18th time of day. Yeah. No, she's solid when she's in shape. She's that you don't need better than that for a scramble. Lake. You don't that that's a, that's good enough. You're, if you're yeah. consistently top 20, that's good enough for the scramble egg. Here's what I'm worried. Here's what I'm worried a little bit. And because I'm worried, uh, this is what's going to make the race super interesting in Onoberstorf, the, the classic side of the course is easy. It's not hard. So I, I, it's, it's, you, you can't really make that much damage on the classic side of things based on the course, the skate side by contrast is a complete beast. Cause they're going all the way to the, they're, they're like, they're hitting that hill. And I think to me, I, I want, we know the skis have been bad. The, the one thing that worries me is, and I know like we're going to get hate mail, but I, I'm just saying what I feel. I look at the third leg. I see Eb Anderson. I see Teresa Yohug. I see Serena. All these women have been skating at an insanely high level. All three of those women have shown at these world championships that on that steep skate side of the course, they are absolutely firing on all cylinders. And then Rosie. And I'm, I'm worried. I, I, that, that worries me because if, if they get handed off, if Rosie gets handed off with Eb Anderson, Teresa, Serena, and they, and it's a, it's like Chris is saying, cause the second and third leg, it's like right from the exchange, it's gun to tape annihilate. Like people are just mocking right out of the exchange. There's no skiing into this. Whew. It's going to be a big ask, but, but uh, Rosie's incredibly tough mentally. So, but it's, it's, uh, this is going to be for Rosie. This is, um, put on the confidence antlers because this is, this is going to be, uh, an insane leg to, to try and hang on to three women that are skiing at a very high level and, and better climbers. I do. That's, that's exactly what I'm like. Look, is that a Norwegian translation? That's a Canadian. That's a Northern Ontario. Check on the confidence antlers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, as soon as you said that, I blocked everything yeah. out. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, that's, that's Subri. That's that's straight out of Subri, Ontario. But but I, I I'm just saying, uh, Lockley is is good in in uh, in steep terrain. But of course, Rosie Brennan is a better skater than Lockley. That's that that's a given. So no, when, I, when I first looked at the start, I wasn't I wasn't thinking in terms of the classic course being easier than the skate course. And yeah, I can't I can't come up with a a better scenario, a better team than this. Um, it's just going to be, it's just going to be a, a really uh, challenging day. I mean, but you know, the good, the good thing is Rosie is confident right now. Um, or she's been confident all season. And that's why, I guess that's why you race is to go, go up against the best and see how good you are. That's so. true. And that, and that's what she'll get tomorrow. That's what, that's what she'll get tomorrow. I mean, we know how good Diggins is. We talked about that. I mean, 
Diggins as an anchor is a great pick for the anchor because I mean, if she can come in, like she can, she can dust Nepreva, she can dust Foss's home, she can. Uh, Frida Carlson's going to be hard to ski away from, but she could even hang on to Frida Carlson if she's there and out sprinter. So, so Diggins is is a, obviously a great pick as the anchor, but but I, I'm uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of pressure on Rosie for tomorrow because that that's that's the that's the make or break. Uh, the third leg is where this race happens tomorrow. So besides Norway and Sweden, who else is? your main concern for knocking the U S off the podium. Russia, Russia. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and here's why, like Serena has been so good in steep courses and steep skating. And like we, you look at Kirpchenko and you're like, who's that? Who's that? And then you start looking at her results and it's like, Oh, okay. She's been like top six, a bunch she was top 10 in the pursuit. Like she's for real, even though she's born in 96. Stupak has, has struggled, of course, at these world championships as well, but she's a great classic skier. So, I mean, it'd be hard to think that she'll get dropped. And then it's just going to be the third leg could, could come down to like a real shootout where Russia, Sweden, and Norway and the US are coming in to an exchange. And then it's, it's Teresa Johug is going to absolutely go ballistic. So, yeah, on a, on a hard, steep course, it's, it's going to be fireworks if that's the case, but it could also break up in early in classic. We've seen huge differences in skis. And, uh, while I'm saying the classic course is easy, it, it it's, it's just, it's not easy, but it's a lot easier than the skate course. And sometimes the easier courses can make speeds, ski speed yeah. discrepancies that much more important. Exactly. Which RSF skier, um, the broken wrist. Yeah, that's Neprieva. Neprieva. And and so that that's a big question mark too because Neprieva is yeah, she, she has two she has two broken bones in her hand like I mean she has had a horrible run up to this championship. She hasn't skied at a high level here. She skied at a high level. Oh my god. She skied at a great level, but she hasn't skied at her level uh yeah. here at the She came in 12th, 12th in the skate race. Exactly. So so and Neprieva you expect to be top 5, you know? Like she's that good. So it's, um, but, uh, no, it's going to be an exciting race. I'm crossing my fingers for the U S and, and I mean, they, they have a, they have a great team. And if everyone punches to their weight, that's, that's the cool thing being a U.S. fan these days, they don't have, you, you're not hoping on a prayer and a miracle anymore. Like if, if these four women just race to their level, you are 100% in, in the discussion for a medal. But you do need, but I'm sad to say, like Sweden doesn't need all four of their skiers punching to their level to, to get a medal. Norway doesn't need all four of their skiers skiing to their level. Um, but but Russia and, and the US does. And if one doesn't ski to their level, that's going to be the difference between third and fourth, I think. In one of, the, one of the last shows I listened to this week, you talked about the 2009 when you guys were fifth. Yeah. Did everyone have an exceptional day that day? Nah, George is going to be pissed when I say this. George did not have an exceptional day that day. Okay. Uh, but three out yeah. of four. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And and but that but that's a good example. Like you know what I would say, like at that time for the shape that we were in, um, for us to get on the podium that day, that was realistic. If we had all four of us skiing our season's best race in in that relay, and 
I skied my season's best race in that relay, no question. Um, or maybe not season's best. I was, I was and that's just, and for folks, that's the 2009 world champs in Czech yeah. Republic. Is that right? Yeah, in Liebrecht. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah in Liebrecht. So, so maybe it wasn't my, maybe it wasn't my season's best, but it was right up. I mean, Phil Brick and I dropped the field in the first leg by over 30 seconds. So that was a great, that was a great race for me. George really struggled, and a lot of teams caught him and went through him. And then Babs had just a beastly leg, skied awesome. Uh, like that was probably one of his best performances of the season. And Alex was absolutely phenomenal. And he was a first year senior. So like, uh, so yeah, we had three out of four guys that were skiing at very close to their best race of the season, if not their best. Uh, and, and one guy that, that had a tough day and, and that, that left us fifth. So that it's small margins. Like that's, what's fun about the relay. <laughs> thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Chris. That's fun. Really great to catch up, buddy. It's good to see you. I think it's always fun to chat with uh, people. I, I think it's just like I know I say this often, but it's uh, <clears throat> I think it's so funny that like you're living a different life than I am. I'm living here in Lillehammer with kids. You're living in New Hampshire with kids, and we haven't seen each other in a couple of years. But then a conversation like this, it's like no time has passed. And I think that says something about like the connections we had with the U.S. and throughout all our career and it's still it's continuing like that which i think is really it's a it's really cool and something i wanted to point out <laughs> well thanks i had a good time appreciate it chris you also look like you are you in like peak triathlon shape right now i know it's a pandemic but you look like you might like if the u.s is looking for an anchor well i'd say classic you know a scramble leg dude tomorrow or on th friday <laughs> you look fit i train for triathlon an embarrassingly an embarrassing amount <laughs> it's <laughs> good it's good um, i'm so actually stoked for you yeah uh ski racing maybe not but uh that swim is coming along nice what, oh good good when do you think you'll be able to compete next chris like when's the next uh i was i was able to do a couple of uh regional triathlons last year but all the big all the big pro stuff got canceled because of covid um uh, yeah. hopefully july 25th iron man lake placid will happen oh cool um that's that's the big focus again i like that. i like that race it's really hilly and hard which suits me and uh i can also drive to it yeah seriously thanks again super excited thanks a lot chris great to see you, see you later. thanks for listening to our world championship coverage and hope you're having a good week